I got a quick joke for you. How many baseball players does it take to hang a curtain? I do not know. Just one, A-Rod. That is terrible. I hope we get to do this again, (laughs) but I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. It's terrible, but I'm going to use it. I'm Patrick Pacheco, and you're listening to Season 2 of In Good Companies from Cadence Bank, the podcast where we guide you through the forces shaping your business inside and out. Over the past year, talent retention has become big news. The Great Resignation has seen millions of workers leave their jobs, looking for greener pastures elsewhere. And it's not just entry-level workers. Resignations are highest among mid-career employees. Their departure can be devastating to a business wiping out continuity, upsetting team chemistry, and necessitating an expensive hiring process. While reasons vary across the workforce, one thing is clear. Companies must do more now than ever to retain their talent. So in this episode, we're exploring how to do just that. What causes employees to leave and how leaders can create environments that make them want to stay. To talk us through the ins and outs of talent retention, we reached out to some talent ourselves. Our guest today is Craig Flowers, the founder of Sideline Leadership. I'm uh fourth-generation native Texan from the Hill Country and went to Texas Christian University and see you're wearing a purple shirt there in studio, which is always a good start, Patrick. I served 25 years in the Army, and the last 10 years I had the privilege of serving on the banks of the mighty Hudson River in West Point. It was a remarkable career in the Army. I retired in 2012 and moved back home to the great state and It's been a privilege working with companies like yours, like Cadence Bank and so many others, Dell Technologies and and some athletics departments as well across the country on leader development. It it appears, at least since I retired, that, you know, leader development and specifically talent retention is really a a blind spot for the majority of organizations, which makes a, a great opportunity for those that invest in it. During his time in the Army... Craig worked with the special operations community, supporting some of the most elite groups in the military. But his interest in high-functioning teams goes back even further. What sparked that interest in in elite? Well, I think athletics. I uh, played, first of all, one year of junior college baseball in Ranger, Texas, and then I played three years for the Horned Frogs in Fort Worth. You know, I had the privilege of being involved in sports, you know, ever since I could remember and played baseball, football, and basketball, ran track. And, you know, Douglas MacArthur said, on the fields of friendly strife are sown the seeds that on other days, on other fields, will bear the fruits of victory. And particularly when you work hard for a goal and you have such diverse backgrounds of all, you know, the locker room is probably one of the most diverse places in America. And when you have people from all over different walks of life, pulling on the rope in the same direction. I like to avoid cliches, but there's one right out of the gate. I think sports is a great leadership laboratory to develop young men and women of character who are committed to winning. But I think that the folks on the bench also learn a whole lot about being part of a team and not necessarily being the star, but how, what important role they, they play. I think we'll probably carry the sports theme through a little bit of what we're talking today. No, that's, that's a, I think your point is well taken. You know, I, I got to throw the first pitch out at a TCU Army game, and I was stunned at the number of teammates that showed up, uh, old teammates that played before and after 
my time at TCU. And afterwards, we went to Joe T. Garcia. It's a great place in Fort Worth. And our assistant coach from the 80s was there. And I looked. There were like 200 people in this restaurant, everyone having a, a blast. And I looked at this one coach, and, you know, he said to me, you know, do you know what this is all about? And uh, I shrugged my shoulders, and he said, this is about being a good teammate. Because I was not an all-Southwest Conference player, did not get drafted, but uh, I'd like to think that I was a good teammate. We need good teammates in our organizations, and good teammates over time endure. Craig uses his experience to help businesses create high-performing teams of their own. But a blind spot he sees over and over is talent retention. Well, when I think about talent retention, it's a great topic, especially now. It's a deliberate commitment with some assumptions, a deliberate commitment with some assumptions. We have to decide, do we have the right talent that we actually want to retain? So we're assuming that we have the behaviors and the talent, and those two things, you know, go together. And when we have the the right talent and the right behaviors, well, then we want to retain that because that's rare. Oftentimes, organizations have extraordinary talent, yet their outcomes are very mediocre. So when it comes to talent retention, for me, it's a a deliberate commitment with some assumptions that we have the right behaviors and talent in our organization. First off, why is talent retention so important to an organization? Well, it certainly impacts growth. It impacts outcomes. It impacts routines, roles, responsibilities, all of the things that leaders of organization, name leaders, I should say, CEOs, presidents, executive vice presidents, head coaches, it allows them to do the things, create, innovate, and succeed when they have the right talent and the right behaviors on board. And when you have the right talent and the right behaviors, those two things together, one can be among the top 4% of organizations, which represents the elite. For Craig, successful talent retention starts with talent acquisition. How important is the acquisition process to talent retention? Well, it's huge. And the most elite teams on the planet ask three questions during the acquisition phase. And we're making, again, some assumptions that they have enough talent to be even considered to be hired, to be brought on, to be recruited as part of this team. So that's an assumption, okay? They're qualified. But at the end of that assessment and selection phase, a group of folks sit around and they look at each candidate and they ask three questions. These are really important questions. And and in my view, many HR departments are hiring processes. First of all, there really isn't a true process. It's they're qualified. We need a body. Let's bring them in. And that's a great way to be average. So they ask three questions. These questions are, can they do it? And often... The answer to that is yes, because they were qualified enough to be considered. Can they do it? Did they prove through the assessment selection phase that they actually do have the talent? The next question is, will they do it? Do they have the discipline? This gets to a behavior. And then the third question, perhaps the most important in my view, is will others do it with them? Can they do it? Will they do it? Will others do it with them? Do they inspire those around them through their behaviors, not their talent, that others will want to be a part of everything that they're doing? Are they 
humble enough to not only serve in a leadership position, but continue to serve when they're not the named leader? Can they follow? Can they do it? Will they do it? Will others do it with them? And at any time, if there's a hesitation or no, can they do it? Yes. Will they do it? Well, we think so. Will others do it with them? No, not not necessarily. There's too much ego involved. They're all about me. They're all about their targets. They're all about their accomplishment. They can go serve somewhere else. They can go have another job somewhere else, but they can't be a part of this elite organization. So it starts with acquisition. Often we hire for talent and we end up firing for behavior. That is so true. When you reflect on your own experiences, You've probably hired for talent and you end up firing for behavior. That's been my experience as well. And that's because the acquisition process wasn't really a true process. It was, we need a body to sell pharmaceutical widgets. This person's qualified. They went to such and such school. They have this degree. Let's put them in there and go. Well, the blind spot's the behavior. And what we know about elite organizations, their turnover is is not very high. Average organizations, their turnover in some cases in some financial institutions is as high as 84% annually. That's a good point. I think organizations really do focus on the first question. It's the can they that they get enamored with. That's the easy one, right? Um, yeah. And that's, you know, they have a resume or they have a degree, they have their MBA, they've had some good jobs. The can they is always the easy question. But it's not just about hiring the right people. You've got to have a plan to incorporate them right from the start. And for so many new hires, their onboarding process is a terrible experience. And not only is it a terrible experience, but there's no process. So that newest member of the practice squad or employee, they have the freshest eyes. They, they want to be there. They are nervous. There's fear associated with that. There's uncertainty. Average teams will, will look at that newest employee, that newest team member and say, oh, they'll figure it out. They'll figure out how to get through with their badge and their security and where their office is and how to get around the building. They'll figure it out. That's average. That's how the majority behave. Elite teams will empower that person right out of the gate because they did such a great job during the assessment selection, i.e. acquisition, that they know this person not only has the talent, but the behaviors to come in after 60, 90 days and say, hey, here, here's, here's how we can make this onboarding process better for the next person. The average don't do that. They just say, ah, oh, they'll figure it out. And over time, the person ends up leaving. Why? Well, it started with the onboarding process. One thing that I've done is when somebody gets hired and they come in, I'll say, I want you over the next you know, few weeks, month, look at what we do and tell me what you think we don't do well or should do better. And so what is your process for 60 days, 90 days after a new member of your team, a new employee has been brought into your organization. There has to be a, a process that has them come in and say, okay, you have the freshest eyes in the company. Tell us about your onboarding process. Here's what we set out to do. Tell us what actually happened and what do we want to sustain? What do we want to improve? In the military, we call it an after action review process. It's a real process, an objective process that gets to, in the long term, exactly what we're talking about, talent retention. Strong hiring and onboarding processes can help welcome talent into your company's culture. But if the culture is negative, they won't stick around for long. In the Army, Craig experienced firsthand the difference the culture can make.
So how much does the culture of an organization, what role does it play in, in this idea of talent acquisition, retention, and, and, and the ruts and things that we've been talking about? Well, culture is, is huge. I did not plan on staying in the Army. In fact, I had a, a not-so-positive first couple of years in the Army. And I was not a Boy Scout. I was not an Eagle Scout. I played baseball in college. And now I'm a lieutenant in the Army. And it's a, a toxic command climate. And so I was ready to leave the Army. In fact, I had made that decision. I'm, I'm going to get out of the Army and go into radio, TV, film, do something else. So I'm, I'm ready to get out. And then suddenly this new commander comes in. And his name was Lieutenant General, three-star general, Lawson Magruder. And he came in to command a brigade. And the first night, I was the staff duty officer, meaning I had to stay up all night. And he gave an assignment to each staff duty officer. And he said, I want to know you. I want to know this organization so I can challenge it. Tell me. And he had three or four specific questions about the brigade. And I stayed up all night writing, knowing that he's probably not going to read this and even if he does, I've made the decision to leave the army. And so sun rises, I turn in my log report, I turn in my little reading assignment. And about three days later, I get this handwritten note from General Magruder. And he specifically cited things that I'd written in that writing assignment. And he talked about in his little handwritten note, which I still have today, about how valuable it was that he hear the truth, that he hear exactly what the culture is currently like. Because the culture that any organization has right now, it exists as it is right now. Everyone's culture exists right now. Craig's experience with General Magruder showed him how leaders could shape the culture of an organization. It's a lesson he's applied in his own leadership roles, and it's left a lasting impression, just like the general himself. Oh, so Magruder called me as I was a company commander, young captain. And he called me one time living, I was living in Maryland. I hadn't talked to him in years. And I'm standing, I, I mean, I had so, so much respect for this man that I was standing at attention holding the telephone in the kitchen. And, and his first words to me, I'll never forget it. It was, hi, Craig, are you taking care of your soldiers? That's the first thing he said to me. I get chills just saying that. Are you taking care of your soldiers? Do you know your soldiers? Are you caring for them? Are you challenging them? That has a huge impact. That phone conversation probably impacted why I stayed, you know, another 20 years in the Army because I cared deeply about serving others. And since I've gotten out of the Army, I'm actually had my heart broken a little bit because I didn't realize how average most organizations are. I thought as we were take care of our business, that civilian organizations were being just as disciplined and as focused and as thoughtful and as caring as we were trying to be. And that is not the case. When I retired in 2012, I got a huge face full of reality of what it's like outside the Army. And it's been, you know, 10 years now since I've been out. And that's why really we, we started Sideline Leadership Company, because I could tell that there was a, it was a blind spot. It's perhaps why we're doing this podcast. You know, talent retention has been around for a long time. I mean, it's not this is not a new concept, but it's really hot right now. 
So what factors cause individuals to leave a company? What are the primary factors that, that cause individuals to go seek jobs elsewhere? In my experience, it's been the behaviors of the named leaders above them. Do they tolerate poor behavior because of someone's incredible talent? When you look at, you know, let's use sports again, you know, this five-star talent, he's got incredible talent. She's got unbelievable talent, but she disrupts the locker room. The bosses will say, oh, they're just so talented. Look at what they did in that last week. Well, what you don't know is they're disrupting, they're causing way too much drama and, and headaches among the team throughout the other three weeks of the month or the other two and a half months of the quarter because their behaviors. And there are many ways to get to that. In the most elite teams, what they do, and it's really hard for HR folks in business to get their heads around this, but they do peer reviews. They, they actually have quarterly peer reviews. And among the elite teams, they hunger for those peer reviews. They want to know what their blind spots are, where they may have dropped off in the area of discipline, behavior, innovation, creativity. So it's not necessarily people leave, not necessarily because of the way that they're treated, but how you treat others on the team that rewards the bad behavior that somebody else says, I don't want to sit here and deal with this person anymore. I'm going to leave. And I think people don't think about that. Oh, absolutely. But nowadays, and, and certainly driven by what we've experienced in the last couple of years, people are, are defining success a little differently than they have in the past, which creates a tremendous opportunity for leaders to start with themselves, start with their own behaviors to determine if they are they being constructive or are they just being instructive? Two very important root words there, construct, instruct. One is I tell you what to do, you do it or else. And the other one is constructive, which says when we are successful, this is what it's going to look like. And when you finish this particular project, here's what it's going to look like. I have found that if we can be 80% constructive and 20% instructive, there are times where we have to instruct, particularly when safety is involved. If we can be 80% constructive, that is where the formula is to developing a culture that will retain talent. How can leaders achieve the kind of constructive, collaborative culture that will keep employees around? Craig has a framework that he uses. It's called No Care Challenge. I was reminded of that by an organization I used to work with, uh, Horizon Performance and Dr. Jat, J-A-T Thompson. He said, your culture exists right now. You have a culture. What is it? And if you want to impact the culture, it starts with behaviors. And it starts with the named leader knowing, then caring, then challenging members of the organization. Average organizations have that formula exactly the opposite. They're instructive. I challenge you. I tell you what to do. You do it. I pretend to care about you by asking how your day was at the break room. And then I act like I know you at the annual Christmas party. Just the opposite of elite teams. The idea of this no care challenge, I find that pretty interesting. How does that lead to successful retention? So the no care challenge formula, it really is in order for us to achieve our stated goals. And let's be clear, average organizations, majority of organizations, they can have some success in a fiscal year, maybe even two fiscal years, without knowing one another, without caring about one another, and without having the culture that allows us to challenge one another. That can happen. 
Typically, that happens because of extraordinary talent. But over time, specifically with talent retention, talent will leave if the organization is instructive, fake, hypocritical, and only driven by sales or only driven by wins. They will have won one year, maybe two years. But over time, if you want to sustain and really build a dynasty that's going to sustain itself over and over and over again, well, then we've got to know one another like no other, care for one another like no other, then challenge one another like no other. And that formula I have found to be extraordinarily valuable. When you've talked to companies about this, what mistakes have you seen with them and trying to implement this no care challenge way of developing a culture? Oftentimes we can trace failures into communication, particularly as a named leader. And it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. And I'm never invited into an, to an organization to work with them for two or three days or whatever it is, or to deliver a keynote speech. And they say, one of our biggest challenges here is we just communicate way too well. No one ever has that challenge. No one says, we, we're so collegial and so communicative that it's become a problem. <laughs> no, one ever, no one ever has it. Oftentimes, we can trace things back to communications and behaviors from the leader. I'm reminded when our youngest daughter was up in Chicago, she had just finished setting up her apartment. Brand new apartment, 21, 22-year-old, proud of her apartment, takes a picture of her apartment, bed is made, she followed, you know, Admiral McRaven's speech. Bed was made, you know, everything's up. And suddenly she sends a picture of her apartment, her big girl apartment. And Miss Beth, who had been married to 33 years, she responds in our family text, take a steamer to your dust ruffle. Well, that communication, although it was heartfelt, probably was poorly timed. So when you talk about challenges with organizations and it gets to the care piece of how you're communicating, Always think about, okay, how did I communicate that? How many times do we send an email or a text and then we proofread it after we send it? Most of the time. And then we're like, oh, geez, I see how that sounds now. The elite will start with themselves and before they send that email, that text, or make that speech or make that comment, they'll think about the second, third order effects of, of not only what they're saying, but how they're saying it. So care, it seems like care is one of those that can be difficult because there's care and then there's babying employees and what's the distinction there and how do you make sure that you're truly caring and not just coddling folks well when we work with organizations i i really actually say that i say you know one another like no other care not coddle then you'll have the opportunity to challenge so no care challenge but the the coddle piece is important to say because holding someone accountable is caring both up and down the chain of command, if you will, up and down the leadership structure, holding someone accountable and having real processes in place that hold leaders and team members accountable is part of caring. That's why that after action review process is so important. And it's one that I found in education. I've, I work with a lot of superintendents around the country, education superintendents, because that's a huge blind spot as well as teacher retention, you know, teachers, you know, in education, it's such a difficult thing right now. And, and right away, I want to say, well, how, how are you caring for your teachers? You know, do they have what they need? Do you know what they need? Are you caring for them by getting them the tools that they need? What do they need that they don't have? And what are you doing about getting that? And sometimes the, the leader has to sacrifice in the area of time or even 
financially in order to get the members of the team, because you care for them so much, the tools that they need so they can accomplish the mission. We've entered a new era of work. Employees think about their jobs differently. It's no longer the norm to spend your whole career with a single company. No business is immune from these larger trends. But if you can create a culture where people are valued, where behavior is as important as talent, then retention will get easier. A strong acquisition process can get the right people into your company, and good onboarding can get them bought into your culture. Through Craig's No Care Challenge formula, you can develop a team that pushes each other and supports each other. That type of team grows and succeeds together, and the journey keeps every member engaged. If you've been on a team like that, you know there aren't any greener pastures. You want to stay right where you are. Once you're part of an elite organization, you want to do everything you can to stay in that organization. I know I was just with a retired Navy SEAL a few weeks ago, and I was obviously not a Navy SEAL. I was in the Army. But I worked in direct support of special operations community. And, you know, he was willing to take a reduction in rank in order to stay on his team. He was performing extraordinarily well, so much so that he was getting promoted ahead of his peers. And he was getting promoted to the point where they they needed to move him to another organization. And he said, no, 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 I want to stay right here. I want to be retained right here in this team. This is the team that I want to serve. And I'm willing to take a reduction in rank in order to stay as part of this team. So when it happens, when you have the right behaviors and the right talent, now you have a culture that Everyone wants to stay and be a part of. They don't want to leave. It's really rare. I had the privilege of serving probably a, a decade, maybe a little more, among some of the most elite teams on the planet. And it was a sad day when, when we had to leave and go to another assignment. So it's rare and it's worth it. I'd like to thank Craig Flowers, both for his service and his thoughtful wisdom. Hidden Good Companies is a podcast from Cadence Bank. Member FDIC, Equal Opportunity Lender. Sheena Cochran is our production coordinator. Our executive producer is Danielle Cornell, with writing and production from Andrew Ganim and sound design and mixing by Ben Crannell at Lower Street Media. I'm your host, Patrick Pacheco. If you made it this far, why don't you go rate and review us in your podcast app? It's the best way to grow the show so we can reach even more listeners. And while you're there, subscribe. We'd love to have you because when you're with us, we're in good companies. This podcast is provided as a free service to you and is for general informational purposes only. Cadence Bank and its affiliates make no representation or warranties as to the accuracy, completeness, or timeliness of the content in the podcast. The podcast is not intended to provide legal, accounting, or tax advice and should not be relied upon for such purposes. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guests in this podcast are solely their own current opinions regarding the subject matters discussed in the podcast and are based on their own perspectives. Such views, perspectives, and opinions do not reflect those of Cadence Bank or any of its affiliates or the companies in which any guest is or may be affiliated. The production and presentation of this podcast by Cadence Bank does not imply the expression of any opinion on part of Cadence Bank or any of its affiliates.